You're listening to Revive the World Ministries podcast. Thanks for listening. We hope this message encourages you to be all God created you to be so that you can impact the world around you with the love and power of God. For more information about us, you can visit our website at revivetheworld.us or visit us in person each Sunday at 10.30 a.m. and Wednesday at 6.30 p.m. We hope to connect with you soon. Ah, Jesus, thanks for being so incredibly good. Father, we thank you for everything that you've been doing. Thank you for the testimonies of your goodness and and how you just continue to show us what happened 2,000 years ago is this very present reality in our here and now. Thank you that everything Jesus paid for at the cross, that we're not only getting to experience ourselves in our personal lives, but we're also getting to see it happen in those of, of those around us and strangers over the phone and in different countries or, or locally or at the mall. <clears throat> But I felt like I heard the Lord saying that March 31st, there starts a decline in the coronavirus. That you're going to start to hear that there's actually uh, less cases, that there, there, it's, a downward, it's going to start a downward spiral of what's taking place and that God's already behind the scenes working because he began to respond to the prayers of his sons and daughters that were petitioning him around the world when this started to look like it was a, a pandemic. And so, yeah, I just feel like uh, that the cure is coming out of heaven, that there may be something that we can actually see, and this is, this is my own thoughts, that there may actually be something we see in the natural that comes, um, could come out of Israel for this particular thing. But all I know is I felt like I heard the Lord say the first part. And so, Father, we thank you right now um, for, for the decline um, already happening. We thank you um, for crushing fear under the weight of your unconditional love. We thank you for your sons and daughters uh, coming into everything that they were created for and standing up in their authority against fear and against everything that, that brings fear and everything that can breed fear. We thank you that I really believe that this situation with the coronavirus um, is, is an opportunity for the church, for the body of Christ, um, to step into her authority and because there's no better time than the present so that the world can see not, not only that Jesus is Lord, but that he is quite literally the hope of the world when there is no other, no other place to look for hope, no other fa- place to find peace, no other, no other thing you can look to for healing. When even the, those in the New Age movement or, or other witch doctors or any of those things are afraid, um, p- the people that they would normally go to are afraid because of something like this, um, that the church, they can look to the church and we will not be scared. We will not back down. We, we will not back up uh, when it comes to anything. And so, Father, I thank you that, that now is an amazing time for the revelation of divine health to come to the body of Christ. Everything that you paid for, Jesus, for us to come into wholeness. I thank you that now's a great time for us to sit aside our differences and agree on what's most important in the body. And so I thank you that that's already happening um, in, in several different places, happening right here in our own community. I thank you for the unity that is happening and ultimately the oneness that we were created to walk in with you, Jesus. In Jesus' name. Amen. I just want you to know that makes me really uncomfortable to... I have a good friend who says I'd rather be uncomfortable in the new thing than comfortable in the old thing. And so I actually even checked with that particular friend. (laughs) I said, hey, man, I'd like to run this word past you. What are you hearing from Jesus about about the coronavirus? And he's he's, he's like, yeah, through at the end, April will be a transition. We'll see the decline uh, that we may see some effects of it, you know, lingering. Um, but it'll start the decline at the beginning of April, and I'm like, all right, I was just testing this, testing this word with you. He's like, it's a good word, go for it. And, um, and there's somebody else, Dale Mast, just prophesied something like that too. Um, so did you have something, Kaya? That Israel already has a vaccine going to the people's trial. Israel already has 
okay, good. I didn't know that. I don't, I don't, I, I pay less attention to the news than I probably should. Mm-hmm. Well, Jesus is good, and if there was going to be a cure, I figured it'd come from from there, and that was that was some practical thinking. And I used all kinds of safeguards in that prophetic word. But you know what? Honestly, if I would have just said, "Thus saith the Lord," and it didn't happen, I'd come back and clean up my mess and own it. You know what I mean? I'm not really concerned about that. Um, so there are things that that won't take place unless the voices of sons and daughters declare the thing to happen because when a king declared a, a thing in the kingdom that it became so right it became that was law and so there's still words that doesn't mean you can you know you can't get out in left field with it and just think you can prophesy whatever you want to and it's going to happen that's the name it and claim it I'll just get whatever I want I'm talking about things that are shifting culture, things that are destroying darkness, things that are bringing hope, things that are releasing peace and healing for people, things that it's kingdom, right? It's, it's things within the, the king's dominion, the things that he wants to do. We're declaring his will on earth. We hear and we get to be his mouthpiece on the planet, not because he has to have us, but because he chooses to use us. Right? It's an amazing opportunity to partner with Jesus. And I figure that there was, it was probably 11 years ago when I just, it was 2009, I just started to, to hear God, which is available to all of us. And, you know, that internal voice, not audibly. And still was like super unsure about any of this stuff. And um, it was being poured out on me and a good friend that some of you have met, Robert Karst, and another friend that you haven't met, Ephraim uh, Merriweather. And, um, I remember we were praying together, and so our, our practice ground was just praying together, and then we would prophesy or say what we were hearing God say, however you want to put it. And, and we didn't really, you know, we really, looking back now, there are words that we spoke 11 years ago that are happening in our, our lives now. So it's, but sometimes you don't know if there's fruit from it. You don't know if it's got until you see it actually come to pass, and it may be. You know, it may be a year, maybe two, it may be ten, it may be twenty. Oh, I don't, yeah, I don't know. I don't. The timing is up up to the Lord. You know, I just, so I just speak out. But I remember we were standing. I remember where we were standing. We were standing in this in this field praying, and I heard the Holy Spirit speak to me, and He wanted me to say something out loud, and I was terrified. Right, this is a time when you guys can't imagine it probably, but this was a time when I would I was terrified of public speaking. Now, I still get nervous, even in small crowds, but it's not a fear thing. It's just like, I don't know, I think it's, it's probably pretty healthy, actually. You know, I'm not, I'm not overly confident. You may, if I may appear that way at times, but I'm, it's, it's, it's just, it just looks that way. And so I was terrified to speak this out in, a, in front of just a couple close friends. So that, I mean, that was the level I was at at that time. That's the level of faith I had, which was like hardly any. And... I remember Holy Spirit speaking to me, and he said, just ever so gently and lovingly, not condemningly and not mean, and he just said, if, if you won't, I'll get somebody else to. And I was like, no way. I'm doing, I am doing this. I'm just going to do it afraid. I didn't have that language then, but I'm like, I'm doing it. And it was an opportunity. He was like, I'm giving you an opportunity to step out in this and... I would like you to, but I'm not going to force you to, but I need somebody to do it. And if you won't, we'll try the next one and then we'll, oh, and whether I would or wouldn't in that moment, he already knew, but he loved me so much that he was just gentle in, in that moment with me of of saying, this is an opportunity. Even though I already know what you're going to do, I am just presenting this to you as a choice because that's what love does. Oh, we get to do this with him. I'm telling you that we're stepping into a time where we're going to see prophetic words really shift what is happening in the culture more than we ever have before. It's, ha- it's been happening, but there's, I'm going to talk to you about grace today, which is honestly an intimidating topic for, for me to talk about because it's so big. Um, and I know all of them are big, but it just seems like if you could make the biggest, it's, it's one of them. And 
there's a shift that is happening, an increase of grace that is happening in the body of Christ for us to declare and speak things out that actually shift, literally shift culture, not just rooms, not even just ne- not even neighborhoods alone, but cities, states, destiny of nations. It's it's happening. All right. <laughs> Natalie's with me. I see her holding her Bible up. And so I want to start in Mark nine. I just want to read a, a short passage out of Mark 9. <clears throat> Some of you may be under the... There's a couple different worldviews that are in the church. There may be more than two. I'm only aware of two, that, or I'm only familiar with two. One of them is a blueprint worldview. A blueprint worldview says that, that God essentially created this, this whole thing, right? He knows the beginning from the end, and so at the beginning, he created the world and, and set in motion, put in place everything that would happen during all of time, all the thousands and thousands of years that the planet would exist and, until time's end, which only he knows, and everything that currently happened, has happened or is currently happening is his will. And he doesn't get involved. And so we see them, we're just like, boom, that happened was God's will. That happened, that was God's will. There's a part, a good portion of the church that holds to that worldview. Though if you hold to that worldview, you can't hold to the view of God being good unless you have a very distorted view of what good looks like. Right? Because if everything that happens is God's will, I wouldn't be so sure about having... A relationship, a close relationship with him. So if you hold to that worldview, when you hear a word like that, that God's going to start shifting things when his sons and daughters speak out what he wants them to say according to his will and by, by Holy Spirit because of grace, then that's hard to receive because you believe that everything is happening is God's will, and, you're, and that you, he's not going to intervene in anything that's happening. Like it, that's why people pray. Well, there's a couple different reasons why people pray this. But they say, God, heal this person if it be your will. Because they're saying, if you do heal them, it's your will. If you don't, it was your will. That's a messed up. That's, that's messed up, right? It's a, it's, it's a messed up theology and I don't want you to think that I'm, I'm like pointing the finger and saying, oh, you guys are wrong and we're right. No, I'm saying that we teach according to what we've been taught. Like I could have barely easily, like I didn't, like, it wasn't like I learned what I learned because of, because I have some, you know, all these accreditations, these doctorates and all these degrees, even though those are important. But I, I didn't learn anything that I learned in the kingdom, but by grace. Like, I, God put spiritual fathers and mothers in our lives that, that gave us the opportunity to learn things that we found out our level of understanding right now, it's, it's, it's healthy. <laughs> so it's, it's, it's a huge, huge blessing. <clears throat> but there's another worldview that says it's a, it's a warfare worldview that says God's actively involved in the day-to-day life of, of people, and that there's a very present and real darkness and enemy that though he's defeated and disarmed by what Jesus did at the cross, he is still has power, because power and authority are different, and he is still wreaking havoc on the planet. And, and if you're going to blame somebody, if you, if you need to, then you would look to him before you'd look to our Father. All right, things that breed fear come from the, the kingdom of darkness because the devil's kingdom operates solely out of fear, and God's kingdom operates solely out of faith. They can't intermingle. They won't operate at the same time. I've prayed in fear before. It does not work. <laughs> 
I'm sure none of you have been afraid when you prayed before, but I've been afraid and prayed and seen nothing happen, right? And prayed for the same thing to happen in faith and seen it happen. Okay. Mark 9. I'm going to start in verse 2. Now after six days, Jesus took Peter, James, and John and led them up on a high mountain apart by themselves, and he was transfigured before them. His clothes became shining, exceedingly white like snow, such as no laundry on earth can whiten them. And Elijah appeared to them and with Moses, and they were talking with Jesus. And Peter answered and said to Jesus, Rabbi, it is good for us to, to be here and let us make three tabernacles, one for you, one for Moses, and one for Elijah. Because he did not know what to say, for they were greatly afraid. <clears throat> Seems fitting. And, and then a cloud came and overshadowed them, overshadowed them, and a voice came out of the cloud saying, This is my beloved son, hear him. Suddenly, when they had looked around, they saw no one anymore, but only Jesus with themselves. Jesus transfigures. This is a lot to wrap your mind around, right? I know this is Sunday morning, and, and so, a lot of times you, you do a, a little bit, uh, maybe uh, something that may be less, at a lower level of, of spiritual truth, but I feel like I'm with people that clearly God feels like this is a room full of people that they can handle more truth. And so <clears throat> this transfiguration took place when Jesus was, was walking fully, fully man and, and full of the Holy Spirit. I mean, that's a lot in and of itself. Like, I can't comprehend that. You know what I mean? Like, he's talking with Moses and Elijah um, while he's Alive, full of the Holy Spirit, like you and I. Now, I'm not promoting talking to anybody but Jesus, <laughs> Holy Spirit, and the Father, right? Because I know this could get super messy, and no, that's not, that's not where I'm going. I want to focus, though, on the fact that Jesus transfigured before them. And so that word is metamorphos or metamorpho. In the Greek, and it, it's for it. It literally means there is a transformation that took place right before the eyes of those the three disciples that he was with. And so, what I feel like is happening is that there is a new level of of grace and a new level of the glory. We go from glory to glory, right? A lot of times we talk about glory, you don't know what it means because different people have different definitions of it, but this is the way that I see it. If we go from one level of sometimes God's visible, tangible presence to another level of God's tangible, visible presence, or you could say one level of God's measure of God's goodness to another level of the measure of God's goodness. And so I believe that it's not either or, I believe it's probably both and, and more, right? And, and so I'm just trying to, to make it relatable, but I believe there's an opportunity for us to be able to step into more, and it's going to happen through grace, that there's going to be a greater transformation, not only in our lives, but the lives of those of the body of Christ in an increased fashion because of this opportunity and time to step into something that is being made available. And I don't even understand the timing of all of it. All I know is I believe God is, the Father is presenting an opportunity for any of those that are willing to stay in this place of intimacy in his heart so that we can be a demonstration of what he looks like on the earth. Right? Like, there is going to be and in, in, in actually already happening a clear dividing line for all those that are churchgoers and all those that are actually living kingdom as sons and daughters. And churchgoers can be fully saved and on their way to heaven, right? If they've, given the, if they've, if they've accepted Jesus into their life, is the way I like to put it. If you, if you, if you integrate Jesus into your life, 
then you'll, you'll go to church and continue living your life and just, you just want the American dream. You know, you just want to enjoy life, have peace, um, get the house, the kids, the dog, the fence, or maybe no kids, maybe just the dog and, and a few cats or, you know, <laughs> barn, I don't know, barnyard animals. So I don't know what you like. You know what I mean? I, I'm just trying to hit everybody. I don't I've seen people with free grazing chickens in the city. You know, I assume they've got some kind of underground electric fence, though. <laughs> I'm glad I don't live next to them if they have a rooster. That's all I know. And so I live in the country, been there, done that. That's, I, don't, I like my own alarm to be set. I don't like anybody else to choose what my alarm will be. And, and so there's, there's a clear difference of when I integrate Jesus into my life and when I actually surrender my life to Jesus. I, I don't believe that there's any prayer within the Bible that promotes me integrating Jesus into my life and allow him to fit into what I want it to look like. The only prayers that I see actually prayed in the Bible are demonstrations of what it looks like to be a Christian or to be a son or daughter of God is me surrendering my life, losing my life, dying to everything that he says I was never supposed to be and stepping into everything that he created to me, me to be. And then I have, because I realize what he did for me, an appropriate response to love. And that is to lay down my life and do whatever he wants me to do, go wherever he wants me to go, say whatever he wants me to say, and surrender completely every single area of my life. Now, in America, we have a harder time doing this than they do in other countries. Um, not everybody, not anybody in this room, I'm sure. But in other places in our country right now where they're having church or, or already had it, you know, on the, uh, or going to have it on the West Coast and already had it in some other places, there is a lack of surrender in certain areas because there's an uncomfortability. I know that's not a word, but I use it anyway. It's, there's, you're uncomfortable in or afraid of what Jesus might ask you to do. So then that shows me that there actually hasn't been a full revelation of, of, of love yet because there's no fear in love. Perfect love casts out all fear. And so when I'm in perfect love, I'm not afraid of what he may ask me to do. It doesn't mean I won't face fear. So if you're feeling fear, that doesn't mean that you've submitted to fear. It just means that you're alive. <laughs> it just means that you're alive like the rest of us, right? I walked in, you know, I can't tell that testimony yet. <clears throat> And, and so there's this, there's this opportunity, and, and I'm not saying that it's passing like it's a short window. I, don't, I, I, I believe that it's a great big opportunity, and it may last for an extended period of time to step into this new level of grace, right, for us to be a demonstration and a transformation in front of the eyes of people. A lot of it's going to happen in front of the eyes of the people that we, that we know or know us best, because they're going to be the ones that are able to see the transformation the most. But it's also going to happen in the, in, the, in the eyes of perfect strangers that are going to be able to hear our testimony. But we ha actually were willing to step out and take a risk and tell them that, that story. We were able to, to tell a perfect stranger what Jesus saved me from. We were able to sh tell people that the stuff that I've been through that I really don't want anybody to know about, but I'm, I'm going to share it with you because... Because love is compelling me to. Because love is, I realize that on the other side of my obedience, there could be a life transformation that takes place. My transformation, we see Jesus transfigure in front of the disciples. And I believe, this is what I see, that his example of transfiguration actually ended up in their transfiguration later on. That his example in front of them gave them not only the courage, but the know-how of to live a life that was in, in oneness with the Father that demonstrated the goodness of God everywhere they went, and they didn't, they didn't care what it cost them. <laughs> I, I was reading uh, Robbie Dawkins' book this, this past week, or this past few weeks, actually, uh, for school, and he said, 
The question isn't whether or not we'll die for Jesus. The question is whether or not we'll go for Jesus. Because sometimes dying would be easier than going. Will I actually go? Meaning, will I go to the store? A lot of times we think go, we think the Great Commission. I'm going to go to the nations. The nations are represented in our, in our city. You can go downtown Indianapolis and touch the nations. You can go to Circle Center Mall, Greenwood Mall. You can touch the nations. I've touched four different nations in Greenwood Mall within an hour one time. Praying for people and seeing God show up at the mall. So you don't, you don't have to worry about getting on a plane and I don't mean right now because lots of people are worried about getting on a plane. I'm hoping it gets me a free upgrade here in about a week and a half to first class. <laughs> I've never sat up there, you know, on the, on, the, on the international flights. It looks amazing on the, on, you, know, you know, if I'm just flying to Atlanta or something. First class doesn't look that amazing to me. <laughs> looks like a bigger seat and you're like you know, eight feet from where I am. <clears throat> I, don't, I don't need the free drink, and the, we're getting the same size pillow, which is like this, and, you know, I can't, and I don't need to sleep in an hour and a half anyway. So, so it doesn't necessarily mean that you're getting on a plane and going somewhere. It just means every morning that when I wake up, I realize that my intimacy with God is creating transformation in me through the grace of God that is going to be demonstrated to someone that day. Someone that day is going to get an opportunity to see that. Will I be paying attention? Will, will I be caught up in self or will I be caught up in selflessness? Right? And it's a practice. It's, this isn't to bring guilt or shame or condemnation on anybody. It's a practice on a daily basis. Like, and so if I miss it and I'm like, man, I know I had an opportunity there in the store. And it isn't like God's like, I can't believe you did that. No, he, he's, not, he's not a dad that does that. It's brought to my attention through Holy Spirit, and I think, okay, next time I'll be paying attention. Because there's been times when he's spoken to me. There's been times when he's spoken to me. I'm not, I'm not trying to give you an excuse, but I'm telling you the reality of this. There have been times when the Holy Spirit's given me what I thought was a, a word of knowledge or <clears throat> you know, something for someone. And, and I didn't share it. Like, I know I'm probably the only one in the room that's ever done that, but I, I, did, I didn't share it. And then I'd be in the car. I had this conversation. I remember being in the parking lot at this restaurant, sitting in my car and thinking, man, I'm, I'm so sorry I didn't, I didn't share that. And then I thought, why'd you even tell me? Because you knew I wasn't going to share it. And he's like, I just love to talk to you. I'm not saying that there shouldn't be action involved when he, when he speaks. And I'm also not trying to make you afraid with this statement, but if there are, if the, I don't know what the limit is, that may be hundreds of times, but if he continually speaks to me and I never act on, I'm talking about never act on what he's telling me, the conversation may change. It may steer to something else until I become ready in my heart and have made up my mind that I'm going to step out and show somebody that, that they're loved that day. Now, it may be a family member. You know, it may be somebody that you know. I'm not saying it has to be a perfect stranger cold calling them on the street uh, at the checkout at Kohl's or at Arby. I'm not trying to, to fit a round peg in a square hole and saying that your evangelism needs to look like mine or other people's. I'm saying that the greatest evangelist of all time lives on the inside of every single one of us and he will give us an opportunity through our giftings, through our sphere of influence, through our abilities, through our personality, through our sense of humor. He will give us opportunity if we're paying attention. And so this is grace. Grace is the, you all know it as the unmerited favor or undeserved favor of God, right? The unmerited or the undeserved favor of God. Let me give you a verse <clears throat> Ephesians 1, 7. This is this aspect of grace. There's two aspects of grace that I see, and it's, I know it's broader than that, but I'm going to mention two that I believe are, are very important. In 
neither more important than the other. So the first part that made it possible for you and I to actually even accept Jesus in our lives is the unmerited favor of God, the undeserved favor. Like we did not deserve what Jesus did for us, right? But he said we're worth it. He said we're worth it with his life. By the way, this is how I've settled that God is good. He sent Jesus. It's a done deal. If he ever has to do something for me again to prove that he's good, then what Jesus did wasn't enough. I'm not saying he doesn't show his goodness on a daily basis. He absolutely does. But this is, this is my conviction. This is what I've made up my mind, that he never has to do another thing for me. And because he sent Jesus to take my place, it was literally enough. That was it. And so now I don't battle with whether, you know, there's just no question about the goodness of, of God in my heart or in my mind. There's not, I, I haven't faced anything to that level yet that has caused me to question it. And, and, um, but I've went through things that have caused me to question it. And by going through them and continuing to focus and declare that he's good, it got me rooted and grounded in the truth of who Jesus showed us the Father is. And it brings us into a place where we're supposed to be unmovable. James says that we're not supposed to continue to be children tossed to and fro with every wind of doctrine. Right? How do we do that? We get in intimacy through the word of God and through life's experiences because every revelation requires a response. And that response is when I get a revelation of something like the goodness of God, you can guarantee that there will be something that will oppose that revelation. <laughs> Every time I get a revelation of healing, there, I'd pray for somebody and they didn't get healed. There's an opposition to that. There's something in the natural realm that is bumping up against the revelation that I see in the word of God. And I have an opportunity. My response will either be, I give way to the natural circumstance that just took place and I will waver in my faith to what this word says, or I will deny the natural to invoke the supernatural of the word and say the word trumps everything in every situation. I don't care what it looks like. I'm going to continue to declare this is truth because it says it is. And I, I believe that the author of it, it is the one true God. And, and it settles it for me. And that may have to happen several times. It did for me in the realm of healing. I prayed for a lot of people. I've, I've seen a lot of people not healed. <laughs> I've seen a lot of people not healed. But you know what? Since then, we've seen a lot of people healed. We, we just saw a young lady renounce paganism and give her life to Jesus after she was, her spine straightened at the mall. This happened yesterday. Her spine straightened at the mall, her severe back pain uh, and, and what appeared like trauma broken off of her from a car accident. She was in seven years ago. Right? And her boyfriend, who was agnostic deist, which I don't even have time to explain what all that involves. <laughs> it's a belief, one, one of them agnostic, a belief that there could be a God, but not really sure who he is. <clears throat> and then deist kind of makes that even weirder. But his leg shifts out, you know, like his alignment gets fixed. It, this is while they're working at the store. It's a good work day when stuff like that happens in and, and she surrenders, she renounces paganism and gives her life to Jesus. And nobody led her, nobody prayed with her. Like we left, there was a, a little bit of conversation that happened after that. But I, I, I never felt God allow me to actually present the opportunity to say, do you want to accept Jesus? I just kept telling him, or he just kept telling me basically, just be quiet. Don't say anything. Now I want you to leave. And I'm like, but God. This is the opportunity. And they came to the worship night last night. And so sometime in a six-hour period, Linda asked her last night, do you want to accept Jesus? And she said, I've already renounced paganism and given my life to Jesus. <laughs> Come on, right? And so all the times that I failed... 
all the times that looked like failure to me, even though I know they weren't. Every time that looked like, every time that it didn't happen, it didn't look like it happened, every time it didn't happen, and we made up in our minds that the truth of God was going to, the truth of the word of God was going to trump my circumstances, my situation, was leading to moments like that, where her life has changed forever. What made that possible? Grace. God, yes, but he released grace. He released grace from the cross in uh, Ephesians 1, 7. I'm going to read it out of the Passion. Since we are now joined with Christ, we have been given the treasures of redemption by his blood, the total cancellation of our sins, all because of the cascading riches of grace. All right? It essentially says... The Father sent Jesus to a dying, messed up, broken, dark world that did not deserve his love. But his love supersedes what people deserve. <laughs> and that happens and is demonstrated by grace, unmerited favor, undeserved favor. Again, in Ephesians 2 I'll start in verse 5 in the New Living Translation, that even though when we were dead because of our sins, he gave us life when he raised Christ from the dead, it is only by God's grace that you have been saved. For he raised us up from the dead along with Christ and seated us with him in the heavenly realm because we are united with Christ Jesus. So God can point to us in all future ages as examples of the incredible wealth of his grace and kindness toward us as we are shown and all he has done for us who, you're, who are united with Christ Jesus. Ephesians 2, 8, last verse, which you're all familiar with. God saved you by his grace when you believed. And you can't take credit for it. <laughs> and you can't take credit for it. <clears throat> I was wiping something off my iPad and went to a, another chapter. <laughs> it is a gift from God. It, it was, it was, if you can picture this, it was literally like everything Jesus did at the cross was, in, if it was a present, it was wrapped. The wrapping paper was grace. <laughs> he was like, here, here's a gift that wasn't on your wish list. Like you didn't ask Santa for this. Like this is, th this is the, the greatest gift that you'll ever receive. It's, it's yours. All you have to do is receive it. I've opened your eyes to the fact that it's truth. I've, I've shown you. I've, I've shown you that it's truth. I've opened your eyes to truth. I'm actually drawing you to myself. It says no one comes to the Father unless he first draws them. Right? And so, like, he did it all. <laughs> he did it all and then says to us, you can have it all. That's just how good he is. He just keeps getting gooder. <laughs> and so that is the undeserved part. In the next few minutes, I want to talk to you about after salvation takes place, there's another aspect of grace that we must understand to walk in the fullness of who we are as sons and daughters of God. Because grace, if you look at it, is not only undeserved favor, but in the same de definition is actually divine enablement upon the heart of a person. It's divine enablement or divine influence. So grace doesn't only give us what we don't deserve or make it possible for us to receive what we don't deserve, but it actually makes it possible for us to live a life that is impossible. The Christian life is impossible. <laughs> People are like, this is so hard. No, it's not hard. It's impossible. <laughs> he told me to be holy as he's holy impossible, right? He told me to love my enemies. Impossible, right? He told me to be love in every situation, right? In, impossible in my own strength and in my own power. But grace steps in where our strength actually cuts off or what we realize. The apostle Paul said this in, in 2 Corinthians 12, 9. 
he, Apostle Paul is, you know what, let's go there, just because this is, I don't have time to unpack the part of that particular passage that theologians have been debating about for longer than I've been alive, nor do I, am I interested in that particular debate, because the scripture honestly looks really clear to me. Um, okay. Verse 7 in 2 Corinthians 12. And I, and lest I should be exalted above measure by the abundance of the revelations, this is Paul talking, a thorn in the flesh was given to me, a messenger of Satan to buffet me. If you read it buffet, it's, it's not what you're thinking. <laughs> and buffet is not a word that we use in the English language, but that word means to strike repeatedly. A messenger of Satan was sent to harass or strike repeatedly Paul. So how you get an infirmity out of that, I'm not entirely sure. But it is, it is possible. And so, okay, a thorn, a thorn in the flesh was given to me, a, message of, a messenger of Satan sent to, to strike me repeatedly, lest I be exalted above measure. Verse 8, concerning this thing, I pleaded with the Lord three times that it might depart from me. And he said to me, my grace is sufficient. My, for my strength is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, most gladly, I will rather boast in my infirmities that the power of Christ may rest upon me. This is amazing. And so this gives us, along with other verses that I don't have time to, which 1 Corinthians 15.10 is another one of them. I don't have time to unpack them, but I'll have enough time to unpack this one. Paul says that, that the, what the Father, what Jesus said to him is that my grace is sufficient for you, for my strength is made perfect in weakness. That word strength, translated in other translations, power is the word dunamis, which is miracle working power. And so God is saying actually that my grace empowers you to be able to live the life that I created you to live that is absolutely impossible if it wasn't for my grace. And so, not, so don't get this wrong that grace is supposed to only make me live or make it possible for me to live a good life, right? There's people that live good lives that don't know Jesus, I have met nicer New Agers than, than some Christians, right? They were more hospitable. They were nicer. They were more loving and kind and compassionate to me. It's true. I, same with uh, some of the people that I've met and ministered to out of the, out of the satanic church. So it's, it's not about being nice. Nice is supposed to be a no-brainer. Loving and kind is, is supposed to be is supposed to be our natural state of being as sons and daughters of God. But there's more to the grace of God empowering me. And this verse, I believe, points to it in a profound way. When God says that my grace is sufficient for you, that my strength, my power, my dunamis, my miracle-working power is made per perfect when you realize that you're weak without me. When you realize that you can't do this on your own. When you realize what we talked about earlier, you thought we weren't going anywhere with that. We talked about the difference between a, a, a church-going Christian and, a, and one that surrendered their life. I surrender my life to him, not only because it's my pro appropriate response to love, but because I realize there's not one thing in kingdom living that I can do on my own. I can't do this. I can't work miracles. I can't prophesy without him. If I do, it would be really bad. But I, I can't love pagans into the kingdom. I, I, can't, right? I can't release light on my own that destroys darkness in, in a store, in an area. I can't see demons run and flee at the name of Jesus on, on my own. I, I can't do it. It is the grace of God that enables me and empowers me to live a life that demonstrates what kingdom living 
actually looks like, what sons and daughters actually look like who are living in the fullness and in the oneness of who we were created to be through Christ Jesus. Make sense? All right, stand with me. Here's practical. Here's the practical aspect of this. You may be asking yourself, and I've had this same question internally, is how do I operate out of this kind of grace? How do I, how do I know, that, how can I, I live in such a way where, where grace empowers me to, to live this life that you, that you talk about, that, that Jesus demonstrates? Come to the end of ourselves. Come to the end of myself and quit trying to do things in my own strength. Quit trying to make things happen. For years, I prayed and tried to make things happen. All right? Chuck Perry was asked this by somebody. He's one of the leaders of the healing rooms out of, out of Bethel, Reading. And they said, when do you stop praying for somebody for healing? If they're, you know, well, there's two answers to that. Well, when they're healed or when I feel myself striving. As soon as I feel myself trying to make it happen, it's over with. Because it's just going to be words. They may sound pretty. They may be eloquent. Somebody may be impressed. But it's not going. No results were happening. We weren't created to impress people. We were created to connect people to the heart of the Father in such a way that it changes their lives forever. That's what you and I were created with. And just so every one of us are clear on this, is that grace comes with the assignments. Not only grace to receive him, but grace to accomplish everything that he says that we can. Isn't that amazing? Like as soon as you said yes to Jesus, as soon as I said yes to Jesus, there was a grace that was released for that season of our lives. And every new season that we step into, there's a grace to go higher from glory to glory, to go up, to be more transformed, to be more to demonstrate more of what kingdom looks like in front of people, right? So that they can see clearly who he is and have the same invitation that you and I have had. By no merit, no works of our own, but by grace. And so, Father, I thank you right now that we are living in a time where grace is being increased for the whole body of Christ. I thank you that we get to be present on the planet right now. I pray that every single one of us, that we'd see where we're still trying to do this on our own, where we'd see where, where our own strength is trying to be used in, in kingdom living, where our own strength is trying to make our identity possible. <laughs> And that we would come to the end of ourselves. That we would be reminded of what you said to the Apostle Paul. That your strength, your power, your dunamis, is, your miracle working power is made perfect in weakness. I pray that we'd all realize how weak we are without you. How fully dependent on you we need to be. That every area of our lives where we've not surrendered that we'd lay our lives down and, and, and literally let you have it all, every part of it. If there's people in the room today that need to surrender to Jesus, different areas of your life, or you know that you haven't fully surrendered, there's always an opportunity. There's an opportunity right now. Jesus is not going to stop extending that invitation. <laughs> and so for every person that needs to, it's a simple prayer you can pray by yourself. Jesus, I give you my whole life. And then we do it. And so thank you, Holy Spirit, for, for helping ever so gently the way that you do for us to, to lay down this, this little bitty life that we have that you've shown us through history that one life can make a, a big impact, that one life can be a demonstration to a, a lot of other people of what you look like and you can shift shift culture and 
demonstrate your goodness in, in ways that you've shown to us. And our appropriate response to love would be to show that to other people. And so thank you for a fuller revelation of what grace looks like and the empowerment that makes it possible for us to live this life that without it would be absolutely impossible. So thank you for heaping grace upon grace for us right now. I pray that, yeah, I pray that there'd be an increase of it in the room, that as you're extending the opportunity to the body of Christ, I just feel him extending the opportunity to us today. Will you step into the greater grace? Will you leave behind any part of yourself that you've been trying to operate out of your own strength? Will you, will you realize that your strength won't cut it? Will you realize that you have physical power that will never be able to do the things that the Father created us to do? There's so much more. There's so much more. Papa, we thank you for, for the opportunity to our transformation to impact people's lives. As Jesus transfigured in front of the disciples, I pray that there would be such a transfiguration and transformation in every life that's in the room, every life that will listen, that, it would, that they would see the glory of God upon us, that they would see it as they saw that upon Jesus, um, that they would be able to see your likeness that we lost in the beginning, but you gave back to us through Jesus. They would see love. And so thank you for the cancer, devil, sickness, darkness, destroying light and love and life that you've placed on the inside of every single one of us. I pray that this week coming where people are afraid and, and hopeless and don't know what to do, that we would take the opportunity to step out and love somebody that every one of us in the room would up the risk of what we've been doing to the next level. What, what, you're com what, what you've got comfortable in, step it up a notch to where you're not comfortable anymore. <laughs> so thank you, Father, for this opportunity to live the life that Jesus made possible for us all. In Jesus' name. Thanks for listening to Revive the World Ministries podcast. Join us each week for another message and listen to past messages by visiting us online at revivetheworld.us.